Okay, and we're starting the show. I have been thinking a lot about what makes some companies succeed, some projects succeed, some ideas uh, take off in the marketplace, and what makes companies fall flat. What happens when something launches and it is crickets? There's just chirps in the background. And I know that's a fear for a lot of you. It's a fear for me that we put something out into the world and we finally get that courage and we say, here it is, and nobody listens, nobody cares, nobody talks about the thing that you put out. And to understand why that might happen or not happen, I want to talk some about... Uh, I suppose a theory that I have first just generally about why certain companies and projects and ideas work versus why other ideas work. And I think there's some separate conversations here to be had about how to actually create those elements. That's not what we're talking about today. I think there's some good conversations to be had for why expecting things to go great is actually not maybe a great strategy but I think that's a different conversation. Today is really just two stories about two different companies that I know you're familiar with and a way of starting to look at the world, look at these companies, look at these projects to understand what's really going on that is making something successful or not. So I'm gonna share two stories um, about two different companies. We're gonna look at what makes them successful. And I think it's gonna start to open up your understanding about how to see the world of products and ideas. So the first one, I'm gonna start with a question. I'm sure you've heard of the company Ikea. The founder is, uh, I believe, one of the richest people in the world. I think he's top five, which is pretty crazy. Um, The question is, what does Ikea do? What does Ikea sell? And I think if you ask the average person on the street who hasn't yet listened to this podcast, uh, I think you'd probably get some very common answers. You'd get the answer that they sell furniture. They sell home goods. They sell uh, food at their cafe. They sell that, uh, that bench that I got and I had to put it together myself. And I think when most people look at Ikea, they see it as a home goods store, like Target, like Tuesday morning, like uh, Home Depot, whatever. So the question is, if they all sell furniture, why is Ikea such a standout? Why is Ikea a global juggernaut brand? And I think this is where people would start to think a little bit more critically and they'll say, well, they have a warehouse, you know, they have a lot of inventory, um, things come in boxes. And I think those are all, you know, the first answer where they sell, where someone might say that they sell furniture is fine. The second answer saying, well, they box it and it's more of an experience. That's true too. But what I'm really getting at here is what Ikea actually does. And this is the secret sauce that Ikea has that makes them a global dominant brand, which is different than all of their previous competitors. Because when they started, they weren't the Ikea that we know today. 
yet they still blew up and became global. And so what we're exploring today is the idea behind the idea. It's the magic sauce that companies have that make them successful and how we can start to look at them and understand that every great company, every great idea has an underlying insight that makes them stand apart and become successful in the marketplace. And so what is it? What's the insight that Ikea had that nobody else had? And to uh, describe this insight, I'm going to tell you a story. And this is actually from Clay Christensen, who is a professor at Harvard who tells this story. He says, I took my son to college. It was his freshman year. We arrived in Connecticut and we're all set, you know, set and ready to move him in for the first time to his dorm room. The thing is, we had a problem. His classes started in two days, yet his dorm room was completely empty. We need to furnish this apartment fast, this dorm room fast. We need to get him everything. And I'm only on campus here with my son for a day. And that's when he realizes there's a place called Ikea. And Ikea, the entire premise of Ikea is you can get everything you might possibly need to furnish a well-styled apartment, home, dorm room in one massive go. That was the problem that was solved for Clay Christensen in that moment. While most furniture companies might sell one item like couches or beds uh, or you know desks, IKEA comes along and realizes that there's a problem in the market. And the problem in the market is that some people don't like to take their time and buy furniture from all these different uh, stores. They want to actually, in fact, take one trip to furnish an entire place at a reasonable cost that is styled well. That is what IKEA does. IKEA doesn't sell furniture. IKEA helps solve the problem of furnishing an apartment in one trip in a style that you actually care about. And so that was the insight that they brought to the table that made them such a dominant brand. At the surface, people might see the company and see them as a furniture company. A layer down, people might see them as a big warehouse, they have a lot of inventory, and that's why they stand out. But the real answer, the real magic behind IKEA comes down to a specific insight that the founder had that made them ultimately dominate the market. And so what we're talking about today is this idea that every company that's successful, every brand, every idea that's successful has a deep insight that isn't obvious to the general consumer that makes them successful. So again, IKEA, yes, they sell furniture, but what they really do is help you furnish and help you uh, design or style your interior in one big trip at a reasonable price with a high-quality aesthetic. And that was this laser insight they had that, that led them to blow up. And so what does that mean for why an IKEA is built the way it is? Let's look at the IKEA store. Have you ever realized that it's sort of like a destination for people? You know, I know growing up in Columbus, they had an IKEA in Cincinnati, and so you would make a trip down from Columbus to Cincinnati just to shop there. But all of this is intentional. Why would IKEA have a food court? Well, IKEA has a food court because they know that people want to furnish their entire apartment at once. 
if people want to furnish their entire apartment at once, they're going to stay in the store for a very long time. If they stay in the store for a very long time, they might leave if they need lunch, if they're hungry, if they're hangry. Ikea wants you to stick around. Therefore, they make the product decision to put a restaurant inside the store, which is unthinkable. There's no restaurant inside a Kohl's or a Sears. And so what we start to see is two things. One, the founder of a company, of a brand, the artist, uh, whoever is finding success with their idea has an insight that is deeper than the surface level that leads them to find success. They then use that insight to construct a product that has features that further fulfill that insight. And so the entire premise of an Ikea store is to fulfill the problem that I talked about, which is helping you make this all happen in one go. Everything's put in boxes and you put it together yourself because you couldn't possibly take home that much stuff if it wasn't uh, compact to put in your car. If you're hungry because you've been shopping so long, they've got food for you, you know, every layer of the IKEA experience is built to fulfill those needs. So that's story one. And hopefully what that did is start to illustrate for you that there's something going on behind the scenes. And if we look at almost every brand that's majorly successful, there is a level of deep insight typically that most consumers don't always see, but it leads them to stand apart. So let's jump into uh, the second example, which is another brand that I'm sure you're familiar with. And the brand is Chipotle. So let's just run the experiment again. You go up to anybody on the street and you say, what makes Chipotle successful? Why do you, why do people like Chipotle? People will say, well, they have good burritos. They make good Mexican food. Um, the price is pretty reasonable. It's pretty quick. And those answers aren't necessarily wrong. But then I would say this. Okay, well, I understand uh, that they make great Mexican food, but what about Moe's? What about uh, any one of them, their competitors? What about Cadoba? And there's actually a lot of Chipotle competitors. It's pretty amazing. So the question is, what is it about Chipotle that makes them worth 10 times more than a company like Moe's, that takes them public, that makes them a national sensation? And the answer is, just like Ikea, there are some insights that the company has developed, that the founder has come up with, that they have uh, tried and tested, that allows for the experience and insight of Chipotle to act differently than anybody who's just copying them. Because another company might come along and say, wow, this Chipotle company is having so much success. Let's start our own. That's probably what the Mo guy did. He said, let's just start our own Chipotle. And he did, and he found some success. But the reason he didn't make this huge, and I'm also laughing here because I don't know if Mo is a real person or not, but the reason it didn't blow up is they're missing the real insight. And that brings me actually to a better way of phrasing this entire conversation, which is what does your company really do? We sell furniture. No, no, no. What does your company really do? Oh, well, we help people furnish their entire apartment in one fell swoop. So with Chipotle, what does Chipotle do? They sell Mexican food. No, no, no. What do they really do? The real insight of Chipotle was honestly part of the the kicking off of the fast casual movement. It was fancy enough to bring your coworkers to for lunch. 
it was uh, relatively inexpensive, it left you feeling full, there weren't many options uh, on the menu. I think you'll notice that Chipotle has basically never changed their menu. It's really incredible how their original menu has not changed, whereas someone like a Moser Cadoba is always saying, well, we've got these new nachos, we're doing these new quesadillas. And so Chipotle was very specific about who they wanted to serve and what business they were in. They were in the business of providing a high-quality but quick, healthy food experience for people on their lunch break, for students, uh, for those who wanted to feel healthy but also leave full. And I think that insight is what drove so much of how the company functions. You know, the reason they have alcohol is because they understand that they were able to appeal to a higher end clientele of people who might be going after work, going on their lunch break. You'll notice that people in suits, as well as kids leaving the soccer game, are able to go to Chipotle. And and I believe those insights and probably some others that I'm not even able to see have really led to the success of the Chipotle. So the purpose of this episode is just to start making you aware. Start looking at the world and say to yourself, okay, I understand that people like Nike, that they like Red Bull, but is it the drink that's making people love it? Is it the shoe? Is it the shoe design? What is it that they're really in the business of? And I think if we can start asking these questions, we can start understanding what it is to create a successful project or brand. What business are you really in? And I think you want to think about this for your own project too. You know, for my company, Death of the Stock Photo, people will see our company and say that they're in the stock photo business. But that is incorrect. We are really in the packaged, what I call digital caffeine business, which is we want to help you start and spark ideas for projects, not just finish a product with a stock photo that you then go find in a massive library. And we treat our interactions as conversations. We're in the ongoing conversation with a creative community business. And so the way we write, the way our company functions, it all is around these deeper insights than what you would normally see on the surface. So from here, I hope you can start asking the question as you start seeing brands around you that are successful, what are they really in the business of? Dig deeper, try to understand what people what everyday people on the street might say versus what people who truly understand what's going on uh, below the surface might say. What business are you really in? That's all we're chatting about today. Uh, I hope you can think critically about this. If you have examples or ideas of businesses that you've seen uh, that do this, I'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe. I will be back later this week for another episode. Let me know how I'm doing. And it's so great to be able to talk to you all. We will chat again soon. Thanks.